Hello, everybody, and welcome to our ninth episode here of the K2 Podcast. Uh, we're going to have a great show tonight uh, for you guys. And I do want to quickly, uh, before we get into uh, tonight's show, I just want to recap something from last week. Um, we were able to raise over $200 for Feed More for the local food bank. Um, so I want to say a big shout out to everybody who uh, supported that. And also, I want to give a special thank you to one of our viewers, Angela, who donated $100 out of her personal pocket. Uh, to also struggle, uh, donate to help struggling families during this uh, difficult time. Um, but without further delay, I would love to welcome uh, tonight's special guest. Uh, he's here to talk with us about uh, staying sane during quarantine. He's a writer, uh, was a writer for Jay Leno's Tonight Show for 20 years, public speaker who appeared on TED Talks, also a comedian, mental health advocate, and is also featured on CNN's Business Unusual. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, Frank King, thanks for joining us, Frank. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you, where you're from, stuff like that. Nice. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the nerve to get up and do it. So I went twice and I thought, man, I'm, I'm that funny just walking around. So I got up on my third night mm -hmm. and I had a great set. I mean, for somebody who just, you know, started and I thought I heard inside my head, you're home. And the next thing I heard was I'm gonna do this for a living. I have no idea how but I am going to do it for a living. And a year later, I asked my girlfriend, now my wife, I said, I'm going on the road to be a stand-up comic full-time. We got 10 weeks booked, clubs. Do you want to come along? She goes, yeah. So we put everything we could and fit into my Dodge Colt into storage. And we were on the road together for 2,629 nights in a row, nonstop, seven years and change. Nothing but a PO box and voicemail. <laughs> And I opened up for and lived with Dennis Miller, Rosie O'Donnell, Adam Sandler, Jeff Foxworthy, Ron White, Bill Engvall, uh, Ellen, wow. Kevin Nealon, Kevin James. Yeah, back when they were just comics. And then that came to an end in 93 when I went to work at a radio station in my old hometown of Raleigh, North Carolina as a morning DJ. And I took a number one morning show from number one to number six in 18 months. One of my proudest accomplishments. That is awesome. Yeah. I didn't just drive it into the ground. I drove it into Middle Earth. <laughs> I left the radio station and the comedy club thing was drying up. So I went into corporate comedy, the rubber chicken circuit. Yes, sir. Did that for uh, about 10, 12 years. Then the recession hit. Okay. Business dropped off 
my wife and I lost everything we worked for in 25 years in a chapter seven bankruptcy. And that's when I found out what the barrel of my gun tastes like. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I didn't pull the trigger. Understood. <clears throat> I got a friend of mine who came up to me after a keynote. He goes, hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? I go, hey, man, could you try to sound a little less disappointed? Um, so I, I always wanted to make a living and a difference. I just never figured out what I could say to anybody, teach anybody. And after that close call, did some research on my family. Turns out it runs in the family. And so I decided to speak on suicide prevention. Uh-huh. So it is not to cut you off there, but it is something <clears> that's, <throat> I, I don't know if genetic is the right word, but if it runs it in is. the family. So it is. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. I didn't know that's something new to me. Yeah, don't, don't feel bad. Not many people know. It's called generational depression and suicide. Interesting. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I found her. I was four years old. I oh. screamed for days. Um, and I came awfully close to dying by suicide in 2010. And so, yeah, that's when I realized it's familial. Um, my dad gave me a bad heart valve. My mother gave me high cholesterol and mental illness. They both gave me a great sense of humor. So it's kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> And I, I believe I firmly believe that my comic ability uh -huh. is simply the flip side of my mental illness. It's all part of the same wiring. Sure. I, I did a TED talk called Mental with Benefits, the Evolutionary Advantages of Mental Illness. Right. I've seen everybody, that. I saw yeah, that you put that on, and I actually, what I'll do is uh, for any of the links I've, we've are you and I've been communicating back and forth. All those links will be in the description of the video. Oh, good. Um, so I just wanted to mention that as well. Yeah, it's um, uh, everybody I've ever met who wasn't completely dysfunctional, but was mentally ill, had some kind of superpower, mm -hmm. artistic, musical, writing. My sister, who has depression and anxiety, said, superpower? We're not the X-Men, we're the Xanax men. So that's, a, <laughs> that's the premise of that, of that particular book. I have two mental illnesses, uh, major depressive disorder, depression, oh. and chronic suicidal ideation which means for me and people like me, the option of suicide always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And, and in my TED Talks, I say, when I say small, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden. Get it fixed, buy a new one, or I can just kill myself. That is chronic suicidal ideation. There may be somebody listening to this podcast who's nodding along now. Right. Oh, dear God, I had no idea that had a name. Well, that's what I was just thinking of. And, too, and, you know, I, I have to say I've, there's been times where I don't think this comes to a, a light. And maybe, I, maybe I'm using the words wrong here. But something like you say, the car breaks down or just some, any hiccup in your life that you deal with, sometimes I don't think you realize the gravity or the impact that it has. And you kind of brought it up there talking about, hey, you know uh, – my car broke down, but an option for me was possibly taking my own life as, you know, something that may seem minute to one somebody else, but to another person could have a severe impact. So that's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. And almost every time I keynote, somebody comes up afterwards mm -hmm. who heard that story. Mm -hmm. They didn't know they have the same thought process. They didn't know it had a name. They thought they were just some kind of freak mm -hmm. and, and their, their relief is palpable that there are other people out there who think the same way. Mm -hmm. that's my why that's why I do what I do right 
It's interesting. Well, let me ask you, since, you know, right now the current state of the country, you know, was predominantly locked down, um, how do you think that's affecting people? What are you noticing as a result of this uh, as it relates to mental health and uh, maybe domestic abuse, child abuse, and maybe some practical solutions or ideas to overcome those obstacles? Yeah, domestic abuse is up, child abuse is up, and calls to the suicide prevention lifeline are up. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do when I do a webinar on social distancing and staying sane mm-hmm. is I teach people the some of the practices that people with mental illness use every day to get to get themselves out of the bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. Because somebody said to me, the world's so uncertain. Hey, look, as somebody with mental illness, the world was uncertain before COVID. That's true. It'll be uncertain after. <laughs> That's COVID. certainly true. That's certainly true. I've I got this. So I tell people, here's what you do. Um, There was a guy who was an astronaut Mm -hmm. for a year in the space station. Mm -hmm. Saw an article online about him. They asked him, how do you handle isolation like that? And he does, he did a lot of things that people with mental illness do. It's called a safe care plan. Mm -hmm. It's about your mental health. He said, you gotta have a schedule. You go to bed at the same time every night, even though you don't have to go to work, you set your alarm and get up. It's a good point. And you schedule your meals and your playtime mm-hmm. and your consuming of media time. Mm-hmm. And I recommend uh, meditation twice a day. I do a thing called the cat napper. It's an MP3. It's a guided meditation, takes you down, brings you back up. Mm-hmm. I do it right after a meal. That's so I have a meal at a certain time, meditation. Then I go back to work and have a meal, meditation, exercise. I got some, I got an old um, Nordic track. Okay. Somebody, somebody I know those. I know those. <laughs> You know, it, Kevin, it's not, it's not as easy as it looks. It's taken me quite <laughs> I'm a sure, while. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's uh, take the, I haven't got the muscle memory quite down yet, but uh, I'm getting it. Uh, First time I did it for 10 minutes. Uh, the other day I did it for 30 and I was proud of myself. Hey, I, I don't knock it one bit. Don't knock it one yeah. bit. But I think that is important, you know, especially with a lot of the gyms and stuff closed, just being kind of active to the best of your ability with, you know, while still maintaining social distancing and following the quarantine guidelines. Uh, so I think that's very uh, cool and here, glad to hear you say that. But um, hearing that you've struggled with mental health, you're saying you've attempted suicide. What were you think the main reasons behind that was, uh, you know, and I heard you say it runs in your uh, family as well, but what do you think the main reasons behind that was? Well, for me and people like me, it's generally not situational. Mm-hmm. I've been most depressed and suicidal some of the best times in my life. Interesting. I always worried, what would I feel like at the worst time in my life? And now I know mm-hmm. because a situation can trigger it, but it's um, it's for me, it's just the way it's like a wheel with a flat spot. Mm-hmm. Every so often, a major depressive disorder. Uh-huh. It lasts two days to two weeks and it recurs. Now with medic- medication, my downtime is shorter and farther apart. But I didn't start taking medication until I was 60. I was using a supplement in the meantime called SAMe, S-A-M-E. Uh-huh. Get it at Costco, um, 400 milligrams first thing in the morning. And it's good on mild depression. Uh-huh. And it got me through many a day. But when I turned 60, my wife goes, honey, you're 60, for goodness sakes. Ask your doctor. <laughs> yeah. I think a so, lot of men struggle with that. You know, I'm always one of those guys that have been like, man, I don't want to go to the doctor. Like, I just, I don't know. But I think that's something I've got to come and overcome and get better at. I've always so worried about the doctor. Like, I, can, I don't need the doctor. So I, I understand that. 
Well, Kevin, don't feel bad because you're, you, you are hardwired for that yeah. because you're a man. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's called toxic masculinity. Yeah, big boys don't cry. Big, big boys don't reach out for help. You know, big boys, when they find a lump in their testicle, wait too long. Yeah. They put off their PSA test. They put off their colonoscopy until too late. Mm -hmm. That's why women live longer than men. Okay. One of the reasons is that women tend to take those signs seriously and men, yeah. you know, so I'll be all right. I'll be fine. <laughs> blah, blah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And with mental health, the number one uh, at risk occupation in the U.S. is construction for mm -hmm. suicide. Interesting. Think about it. Didn't know that. Well, you got a lot of guys, mm -hmm. male heavy and rough and tough, rough and tough guys, generally mm -hmm. kind of guys who wouldn't reach out and seek help. Mm -hmm. And that's why that's that toxic masculinity. That's it. We're trying to, we wrote a book called uh, Guts, Grit and the Grind, a men's mental mechanics manual, uh -huh. stories of 12 guys. Each one has a problem. And, you know, the stories go like this. First 500 words, things are good. Mm -hmm. Second 500 words, things go bad. Mm -hmm. Last 500 words, here's how I clawed my way back. And here's what I'm doing to cope. Because the guys we surveyed said, look, we want stories of men by men who have suffered these things. Stories. Mm -hmm. And we want to know how they're coping. So that's why we decided on the format, the anthology with the 12 guys. Each one has a story, the hero's journey. And because eight out of 10 people who die in the U.S. of suicide right now are men, most of them age 45, 54, mm -hmm. uh, because of the, you know, the people think all the jobs went overseas. Mm -hmm. Only about 83, 85% of the jobs, I'm sorry, only 15 to 18% went overseas. The other 83 to 85% of blue collar good jobs, artificial intelligence and robots. So, that's on the rise. Yeah. That's on the uptick. I I I know. I, I'm not going to share. I know a personal, a few personal stories of, of that people who are dealing that work in that kind of industry and their jobs are kind of being slowly phased out in a sense. So I I, I agree with that. I don't want to share their personal information, but so let me ask you: when you talk about the. Uh, suicide and how you dealt with it how did you bounce back from those experiences you you, you described it as like a, a flat wheel you know as it rolls and you hit that spot how do you get that wheel rolling again and what's the healing process like for you or, and how would you you know it, what kind of advice could you give to that well there for me and people like me there is no heal mm -hmm. i used to say that i battle depression but battle implies you can win mm -hmm. and i can't i can lose and kill myself or i can tie you know and what i do is i I try to just go through it and come out the other end. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a martial art I've taken a little bit of called Aikido. And yeah, the, the whole premise of Aikido is when somebody punches at you, mm -hmm. rather than block it, you blend with their energy. Then you take their balance and you do the, you know, the fall. Uh, so I try to do that with depression rather than fight it. Uh -huh. I try to blend with that energy because it has a great deal of energy and and use that to move forward. Just put one foot in front That's of the other. That's a good way of putting it. I like that. That's a very great way of putting it. Well, and I do something. I tell people who are suffering now with the social isolation. Mm -hmm. You know, Frank, I can't get out of bed in the morning. What do you do? I said, well, here's what I do. It's called gamification. I make a game of it. I've got one of those projection clocks on the ceiling. Uh -huh. So I look at the clock and I go, okay, it's, it's 425. In the morning, mm -hmm. I'm going to get before 30. So I lie there relaxing and 430 comes, boom, I'm up. I make a list of to do 
six or eight things. And the game is once if, if I'm in that place where I really don't want to get out of bed, I want to crawl back in bed and net watch a uh, net Netflix, uh, what binge watch Netflix, yeah, the new I, season of Ozark or altered carbon or whatever. Sure. Um, I, the, the game is once I've checked all eight items off my to-do list, mm -hmm. I don't care what time of day it is, or if it's broad daylight, I can go back to bed and pull the covers over my head and, and binge watch Netflix called gamification. Mm -hmm. It gets me to the gym. The gym's about 25 minutes away, but the longest mile for me, Kevin, is from my bed to the car. Yeah, I'm sure that's what sounds like me too. So my deal with myself is if I get to the gym, all I got to do is one rep of one exercise. I can turn around and go home. Now, once I'm there, I'm usually there hour, hour and a half. But the difficult part is getting to the gym. But but what gets me there is I know I can walk in. Uh, okay, right. I'm gone. I got to tell you the other night, last gig I did was in Chicago. Nice hotel, nice gym. I'm all dressed up, you know, in my gym clothes. I go downstairs, and I just I'm like, oh man, I'm so tired. I just want to go to bed. <laughs> so I got, I got on the elliptical runner. I did a minute and a half, and I went to bed because that's the game. If I get to the gym, right. No, I think so that's, that's what, that. I, I I had a, a fitness coach on uh, the young <laughs> young lady by Lizzie, and that's one of the things we discussed about. Uh, it was just getting into the gym is like that first step. Um, so I think that's important. I think that's very important. And also, somebody like me, I know. Um, one thing that was important for me is whenever I'm one of those people that like, if I go walking, sometimes I will, instead of like, okay, I'm going to walk around the block. I don't stop. I'll continue. I'm like, you know what? I did want, let me just go again. I'll do it another loop, another loop. And then sometimes I'd get just going on and on and on. But yeah, I appreciate you uh, bringing that up. So another thing is, you know, as a comedian uh, and speaking on things like depression and suicide, how does that all work? How did, you know, you explained a little bit how you got into comedy and, you know, telling your first joke in fourth grade, but how does that all uh, develop into what you have now, you know, relating to depression and suicide, but also balancing the comedian life as well? Well, you know, the, the, I was a comedian for a long time and I wanted to have something to teach. And I realized that what I have to teach, when I coach speakers, if there's something organic about them, mm -hmm. Um, there's a woman who speaks on sleep. She's a sleep advocate. Okay. And the reason is she, she's in law school. She thinks everybody is as sleepy as she is. Turns out she has narcolepsy. Oh Lord. Yeah. So when people ask her, why do you speak on sleep? How'd you pick that? I said, here's your answer to them. The, the topic picked me. It's organic to her. Okay. Yeah. So the suicide and the depression are organic to me. Right. You know, it's not like I chose customer service. Or, right. <laughs> well, and you know what I think about that is too, it, it makes your the comedy a little bit more relatable in the sense that it's something that you've experienced, that you've dealt with, and it makes the story a, that much more real or that much more relatable than somebody who, let's say, never worked in customer service but wants to get up there and tell a customer service joke. Maybe that joke won't translate as well as if you've been in the trenches and dealt with these issues. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. In comedy, Kevin, there's a rule. Mm -hmm. You, because people have said to me, "How can you make fun of depression and thoughts of suicide? How can you joke about that?" Well, in comedy, here's the rule: you can make fun of any group to which you belong. Right. Okay. So if I were if I were neuronormal, I could not get away with the stuff I talk about. Right. Understood. So because, but 
because I, and I, I tell the audience up front that, you know, the, the taste of the barrel of the gun, I give them that pretty much up front. Right. So they know that you can, cause you can see the people who are mentally ill, have an illness. Yeah. And then they instantly get on the defensive probably like, Oh, who's this guy? And then, you know, yeah. And then I say that and you can see him go, I had a young woman come up to me at, at um, Lynchburg college and she said, can I give you a hug? Now, this is right in the middle of the Me Too movement. I'm thinking, oh, oh dear God. God. Oh, God. <laughs> Everybody's got a camera. Right. You know, I can see the picture tomorrow. I know uh, speaker, gropes, co-ed. <laughs> so I said, sure. And I gave her a you know, brotherly hug with my pelvis back. <laughs> and I said to her, are you a hugger? And she goes, no. I go, well, why the hug? She goes, I've been in therapy for two years. And the young woman who's my therapist is very good. Mm-hmm. She's a clinician. She knows her stuff but she has no context. She goes, I'm sitting in the back of the room. You're 15 minutes in. I'm like, this guy is in my head. (laughs) You did more for me in 45 minutes than she's done in two years. Wow. I bet you that was a nice compliment to receive. Well, and that's my why, Kevin. That's why I do. I I realized somewhere along the line, Mm -hmm. I'm like um, George Bailey and it's a wonderful life. Okay. (laughs) I've I've seen what these people's lives would be like if I weren't there to speak and let them know they're not alone. Sure. I think that's you know, important. Maybe, maybe I steered them just far enough off the path of suicide they'll live a normal life. And my second thought, Kevin, was I can't kill myself now because if I did, I'd take all those people with me. Sure. Yeah, so. no, that makes perfect sense. So you're talking about some of this positive stuff, um, but, and, and you know, I certainly want to keep on, uh, keep that po- uh, positive momentum. But let me ask, what was your worst show like? You know, did you ever have like a bad <laughs> show? I'd like to hear about your worst show or who maybe your favorite comedian is. Uh, worst show, two of them, my first cruise gig. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a Christmas cruise. And they, the Christmas time cruises have changed kevin the last decade but back then the people on a christmas cruise were people whose families couldn't stand them so rather than give grandma and grandpa knickknacks and bric-a-brac they'd pool their money mm-hmm. and send them on a cruise at christmas to get them away from the dinner table <laughs> so i'm on a boat with 2500 people and nobody can stand i did two shows 45 minutes each stone cold silence my wife sitting in the audience said she could hear it was so quiet. She could hear my tongue sticking to the roof of my mouth. Oh man. She said, it's like watching someone you love get beat up and there's nothing you can do. about oh, it." Man. Yeah. And I kept it clean because a lot of comics in a situation like that will go dirty, hoping to get the audience. And I just marched through my clean material. That's why, I, that's why I had a 10 year career in the cruise lines. Cause I never, I never, you know, lowered the bar. Okay, interesting. Who who would you say is your favorite comedian? Do you have one? Yeah, oh yeah. Um, currently, it's in the U.S. It's Bill Burr. Okay. And out of Boston. Okay. And then there's a guy in England named Jimmy Carr. I don't Those think I've heard two. of Jimmy Carr. That's interesting. I'll have well, to look him up. Yeah, type into good. Type into YouTube. World's most offensive joke. Uh huh. He's brilliant. He okay. comes out and he go, he comes out and he goes. Uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to start off mildly offensive. <laughs> I'm going to crank it up a notch each joke. And I mean, he does it. It's amazing to watch. He goes until somebody in the audience screams, for God's sake, stop. <laughs> and some somewhere in there, somebody screams, for God's sake, stop. <laughs> well, let me ask. So I've personally 
thought about pursuing a career in comedy once upon a time. Now, I've definitely, I don't know, I thought it would be something I would be interested in. Then, you know, the fear sets in and all these other things like, oh, standing up on a stage in front of people, lights beaming down on you. You know, all these things came across my mind. Um, sure. But what were some of the tips that you could maybe give to somebody pursuing comedy? And I've heard this one joke that uh, somebody always tells. I, I spoke to a comedian in the past who said, don't. That was like, he said, I was like, what kind of tips can you don't. give? Yeah, he's like, don't pursue it. He's like, that's the tip I would give. But is there anything practical that you could give and, you know, any yeah. advice? Yeah. That? Where are you? Where are you based? I'm in Virginia, Richmond, Virginia. Okay. There's got to be a comedy club around there somewhere. There is. It's called the Funny Bone. Okay. Chance of the Funny Bone has a comedy class. Okay. Call them up and go, hey, you guys have stand-up comedy classes? Usually, Kevin, it's about six weeks. And graduation is, you get up. And you use that six weeks to help you construct your first five minutes. Okay. And at the end, they have a graduation. And you invite friends and family and all the other students invite friends and family and the public. And everybody gets up and does their five minutes. And because at the end of six weeks, you've been on stage a bunch of times. You've been standing in the lights a bunch of times behind the microphone. So you got you have a feel for the Developing you know, that comfortability. Yeah. That's, what, that's really what they're doing mm -hmm. is making you comfortable on stage. So week seven or whatever – when you go up there, you're not, you're not worried. The lights don't bother you. You know what to expect. It's a, it's a friendly crowd because it's everybody's friends and family. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the very few careers, Kevin, you can make a decision that night. I mean, my first five minutes on stage at the comedy store in La Jolla, I heard inside my head first, I'm home. Second, I'm going to do this for a living. I have no idea how, but I'm going to do it. So it's one of those things where you can make a decision in five minutes, whether it's, it's for you. Sure or not right let me tell you a book to buy okay the comedy bible by judy carter okay and buy the new comedy bible the one she just wrote last october the new comedy bible it's all about constructing that first five ten fifteen minutes okay it's it's a how-to how do you how do you come up with premises how do you come up with punchlines how do you string them together okay. how do you act them out it's a great book and that's the comedy uh, bible the comedy Bible, but by the new comedy Bible, the one, the edition that came out last fall. Okay, interesting. Okay, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's great. I had no idea that they offered classes. I thought it was just something like, hey, open mic night on this night. You just show up and just give it your best shot. So it's good to hear that they have some classes. That's kind of interesting. Well, some people, I never took a class, but I mean, I've been funny all my life. Sure. Um, <laughs> I was, I mean, I joke just, you know, wherever. Sure. But, um, some guys just get up without a class, but you know, the again, the class is really, cause I taught classes when I lived in Raleigh and worked at the radio station. Mm -hmm. The people who took my classes came were like you. They thought, you know, I'd like try that. Right. So all I was really doing was getting them comfortable on stage. They already kind of had funny stories in their heads and I helped them organize them mm -hmm. into five minutes. So by the time we get done, ready for graduation, you're comfortable on stage, you know how you're going to start in the middle and the end. So it's just a way of getting people comfortable that first time. No, that, that makes sense. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'll give it a shot at some point. You know, I think that's pretty cool. So getting into the next thing here, comedy was uh, something I'm guessing that you started off fairly early. How did that translate into working on The Tonight Show uh, with Jay Leno? How did that come about? Well, you're probably not old enough to remember, but that's, the thing, that's something old people say all the time. You're probably <laughs> not. But back in the day, Leno was Johnny's permanent guest host. Okay. 
And Johnny was very mercurial. He could change his mind, drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. So on a Friday night, he would say to the staff, look, I'm taking next week off. Now it's Friday. Mm -hmm. Mondays was always a rerun, best of Carson. That meant Jay had four nights, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, four monologues, 18 jokes per monologue. That's a lot of clean jokes. Sure. So he started hiring contract, started contracting with comedians, road comics like me. Uh-huh. And when he would put the call out, I'd send in a dozen, two dozen jokes a day by fax. And I was getting one or two on a week in his monologue. And then when he got the Tonight Show for real, they let most of them go. Mm-hmm. But I got I got the new fax number. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed with him doing that until he left and went to CNBC. Interesting. And uh, what kind of guy did you uh, did you ever get an opportunity to speak with him or not often? Or how did that go? Did you ever have those kind of opportunities? Uh, I saw him one time in Charlotte, North Carolina, went to the show mm-hmm. at the auditorium and waited afterwards. And okay. then I was at the Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa Beach. Okay. Well, now, look, bear in mind, uh-huh. I've met Leno once already. Uh-huh. I'm at Hermosa Beach. I come up behind him. I go, hey, Jay. He turns around and goes, hey, Frank, we'd met once. He's got a prodigious memory. It, I mean, amazing. Right. Well, and so did, how, did, let me, this is kind of a tricky question. You may not have the answer to it. When you develop some of these jokes and you would send them in for the show, was there a joke that, that particularly didn't translate the way that you had envisioned it or the way that you would have said it? Did you ever notice anything like that, you think? Well, I tried to write in his voice. Okay. I mean, if that's not hard to do in the sense when I hear Jay Leno, the first thing I think about hey, is that hey. voice. Yeah, I hear that voice hey, instantly. Hey. <laughs> and one time, Kevin, one time, he did a joke that I sent him word for word, syllable for syllable. Uh-huh. Which means, I, I mean, most time it was like 90% me, but that, that one was 100%. He didn't change a thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was I was flattered that he actually, but when you write for somebody, no matter who it is, whether you're working on a speech forum or comedy forum mm-hmm. or comedy in a speech, you want to make sure it doesn't sound like you just bolted on a joke. You want to make sure it's in their voice and fits the material. Makes sense. Now that makes sense. And have you written any books by chance? As a matter of fact, funny you should ask. Okay. It's called um, Guts, Grit, and the grind. And you did mention that, and I actually have the link in the description of this video. So definitely, you can go to I think it's gutsgritandgrind.com. Is that right? Uh, gutsgritandgrind.com. Yeah, okay. or go to Amazon and type in gutsgritandgrind. You'll find the um, printed version. It's like twenty three bucks. The ebook is three ninety nine, and I just finished voicing. That's why my voice is shot. Sure. Uh, the book for Audible. So May first, we're going to release it on Audible, and I voice the book. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was part of my deal with the ladies. I go, look, I'll make it funny. I'll put in the car metaphors, but I want to be an author and I want to voice it for Audible. Okay. They said fine. So that's pretty interesting. And um, and you said people can purchase that on Amazon, right? Yep. Is there right any other the- spots that you can get to pick it up? Is there any physical locations? No, it's it's, it's just uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, all the major distributors. Right. Understood. And you get the ebook for three ninety nine or the paperback for. 23 bucks, 23 bucks. 
Okay. Well, uh, you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time this evening, um, but I do want to say, is there anything else that you have in mind? Like, where can people find you, whether it's Instagram, social media? Well, um, if they go to TheMentalHealthComedian.com, TheMentalHealthComedian.com, and here's what I tell people, Kevin, and you can put this in the show notes. If you're having, if you're suicidal, call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Okay. If you're just having a really bad day and you're mentally ill, call a crazy person because we're not going to judge. We're just going to listen. So you can put my cell phone number in the show notes or they can go to my website, The Mental Health Comedian. My phone number's there and people uh-huh. call me, mm-hmm. whether it's about themselves or a loved one or a college roommate sure. or a sister. A guy called me the other day about his sister-in-law. She was suicidal. What do I do? I, you know, I gave him the 411 on what he should be doing. It's not always, you know, you may have to call the cops and she's going to be mad. Yeah. Um, Let's go back to social distancing for a second. Sure. Um, Here's some advice. Limit your media. Mm -hmm. You know, you're don't leave the television on 24-7, whether it's CNN, MSNBC, Fox, whatever, especially the kids, because they're going to be sucking that stuff up. Sure. You know, body bags, mass graves. Yeah. Um, So plan your time. Um, I tend to listen to the governors and the mayors because they're on the ground in, in Oregon. I listen to the governor and the mayor of our city because they're right here. Mm-hmm. They know what's going on. You know, if I was in New York, well, I don't know. I don't to... know if you could say that about every uh, governor and mayor, but uh, I'll take no, your word for right. it. I'll take your word yeah. for it. Yeah. Well, it depends on the state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, um, the you have to advocate for yourself, mm-hmm. whether it's your physical health. Yes, sir. Um, I, I sent a note through the portal at my doctor's office to my cardiologist. Hey man, what should I be doing above and beyond what everybody else is doing because I've had the two aortic valve replacements. Mm-hmm. And he sent an email back and gave me some extra instructions. And when it comes to finances, which is a big stressor, you can't stick your head in the sand. You got to call your mortgage company because the stimulus bill, I believe allows people to, to um, not make mortgage payments for six months and then re up for six more months Mm -hmm. and then get a loan modification. Call your utilities, gas, electricity, water, trash, cable, phone. They're all, they all have something going Mm -hmm. where you can adjust based on your financial situation, but you have to reach out. Right. It's like mental health. You've got to reach out. And, you know, it's yeah, and I know think that's that, important and really awesome of you to put your number out there like that and be available to people that, um, you know, may be in, may be in need of assistance. So um, I will definitely put that number up there. And also on the podcast here, there's a number I put at the bottom of uh, below the videos. You and I can't see it right now talking, but below our video, there's the suicide prevention hotline number there as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, they'll definitely be able to contact that uh as well so i and, appreciate that can i tell you do you have time for a funny story no absolutely sir okay guy calls me up young guy i pick up the phone he goes man i can't believe this is your cell phone <laughs> how mean would that be oh put yeah the phone on the screen i said i'll make it worse for you what if i did that and what you heard was hold please oh that would be terrible oh wait there's more i said here's a comic in me the on hold music is this Another one bites the dust. Oh, another Lord. One. <laughs> oh Lord, that's actually pretty good, though. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't believe I picked up the phone. Yeah, no, oh, that's awesome. 
And Kevin, one more piece of advice for you for comedy. Sure. And I tell everybody this who wants to be a comedian. Go to Amateur Night at the Funny Bone twice. Okay. See how bad 75 to 80, I'm telling you, you'll, you'll be amazed how bad they are. You'll watch and think, how could they get up and do that? I've heard that before as well, though. I've heard other, other people give some advice and they've said the same thing. They're like, once you go see some of these other guys, it'll give you a little bit of a boost of the confidence, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it'll give you the courage to go up because you're thinking, man, I can do at least yeah. that bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If they tank, I mean, heck, at least it's two of us tanking now, not just me, myself, and I. <laughs> so well, that's really Here's my, here's my last advice. Uh-huh. A safe care plan mm-hmm. for mentally ill people. Sure. Mine is um, diet, exercise. I want a keto diet. I do 18, six um, fasting, intermittent fasting, fast 18 hours, eat six uh, exercise. We talked about yep. get a good night's sleep yep. and set your alarm and get out of bed, get out of bed, shave, shower, get dressed. They're not dressed like going to work, but get dressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, meditation. Medication, if you need it, because some people may have a short-term transient depression. Mm-hmm. So talk to your, you know, talk to somebody if you if you feel seriously depressed. Sure. Get evaluated. Find out if you have like a situational depression. Because mm-hmm. I had a cousin who had it, and she, her husband passed away. Very difficult. And she, six months she was on antidepressants, and then she tapered off and never again. So there are people that have situational short-term trans, you know, transient depression. So, and as a man, and I just want to bring up, you know, we talked about it earlier, but as a man, you know, make sure that if you feel like you're maybe a need, don't be afraid to reach out, go see, seek some help or something like that. You know, I don't think that, I think that's something that doesn't get a lot of uh, attention, you know, as a man, like you said, people get that toxic masculinity, but I think it is important to reach out for help if you need it. Well, what we discovered Kevin was men oftentimes will not reach out. Mm-hmm. but if offered help. Mm-hmm. So let me give you a couple of signs that somebody may be depressed. Eat too much, can't eat, sleep too much, can't sleep. Um, they, they let their personal hygiene go. Mm-hmm. So they used to be, you know, well put together and the hair is maybe dirty, the clothes, um, have trouble getting to work or getting up in the morning and rally in the afternoon. That's, those are signs of depression. Sure. And what you say, here's what you don't say. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Turn that frown upside down. Have you tried fish oil? Here's what you do say. I'm here for you and mean it. I know you're not crazy, lazy, or self-absorbed. I know that mental uh, depression is a mental illness. The good news is, with time and treatment, things will get better. I'll take the time. I'll help you get the treatment. And here's the question you have to ask, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Are you having thoughts of suicide? It's tough to ask, sure. but you got to ask it just that way. And if you can't ask, if you think somebody's depressed and you can't ask that question, find somebody who can. Mm -hmm. If they say they are suicidal, having thought of suicide, you say, do you have a plan? A plan. If they have a plan, what is your plan? If it's detailed, time, place, method, they need to be on the phone with the suicide prevention lifeline. If they won't pick up the phone, Mm -hmm. you pick it up, call the volunteer, and they'll do their best to get it in the hands of the person who's in crisis. Now, for younger people like you, they have a text line. Text the word HELP to 741741. There'll be somebody your age on the other end to to text back and forth with. That's pretty cool. When do you call the police? I get that question all the time. If they're in immediate danger to themselves or others, you got no choice but to dial 911. Mm -hmm. Now, bear in mind, that's going to buy them a three-day stay 
all expenses paid <laughs> in a gated mental health community with no shoestrings or belt, right. but they'll be alive. So that's, that's kind of the 411 on depression. No, that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. That was actually really good information. So thank you for that. Um, so just to do a quick recap here, um, I just, like I said, I want to say thank you for coming on, joining us uh, for the show. I think we offered a, a lot of good insight and, um, it, it just means a lot to me so to be able to kind of spread awareness to things like this. So I definitely appreciate that. Um, you can find uh, Mr. King here, Frank King. Uh, you can get his book on guts, uh, gutsgritgrind.com, uh, thementalhealthcomedian.com. Also, uh, he's on YouTube. I'll link all of this stuff in the description down below. But, Frank, uh, I really do appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, spending uh, your time with us this evening, sir. Well, and here's something your your podcast listeners don't know, Kevin. Okay. Is that you and I, you and I undoubtedly don't agree on anything political. That's right. 100%. I live in, or I live in Oregon mm -hmm. because you're not allowed to pump your own gas because I'm such a flaming liberal. If I pump my own gas, I'd burst into flames. <laughs> but the, um, COVID, uh, the d depression, mm -hmm. thoughts of suicide, doesn't care what political party you belong to. That's true. Very true. That's all we care about. That's what yeah. we agree on. And, and, that, and that's one thing that we and you had discussed. You know, we may not agree politically, but being able to come together, whether what side of the fence you're on, because I think, like you said, it, it doesn't discriminate against anyone. Everybody can relate to this in some form or fashion. So, no, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, it's, you know, we all we all agree that people are struggling and they need help. And they reach out, and, and I hope they'll reach out if they do. Certainly, certainly. Well, Frank, uh, it was a pleasure having you, sir. Uh, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for coming on. Um, look forward to being in contact with you. Um, I'll make sure I'll reach out to you after the show and just touch base and everything, okay? Kevin, can I ask you a question? Uh, certainly. Did you record this? Yes, sir. This oh, No, God. this is live. No, this show is live. It's a live show. What? Yeah, we've what? been live the whole time. What? Yeah. <laughs> well, do you do you also record it, or you do not? Uh... I mean, they're they're archived. I do archive them afterwards, so I'll send you all the links and details and information afterwards. Yeah, because I'd love to put them up on my social media. And, sure. You know. Yeah. No, I'd love that. No, that would be great. But yes, sir, I will make sure I send all of that to you. Okay. All right. Thanks, Frank. You have a great evening, sir. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. See ya. All right, guys, so there you have it. Uh, Mr. Frank King, who uh, was very nice uh, to come on to the show. Uh, I did just want to uh, kind of touch base on some of the stuff he uh, had there. I do want to just leave, I'll leave the screen like this so you can see that National Suicide Prevention Line because I do think it is important. Um, but I won't take up too much more time this evening. Uh, it was very nice to have Frank King on and kind of share some of his stories or anybody who's thinking about going into the uh, comedian realm. Uh, but, uh, I don't, I don't have anything else for you guys tonight. I think that's going to be about it. So thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Also, I do want to mention, uh, in the coming weeks, I have some other interesting guests coming on. Um, I have a, I don't want to say their names yet, but I will release that information shortly. Um, and we will kind of, uh, talk about some really interesting stuff. So I have some other really cool guests that are coming on in here in the near future within the next couple of weeks. Um, but we will be back here on Monday, uh, 
next Monday at 7 p.m. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode here of the K2 Podcast. Uh, you guys take care. And until next week, talk to you later.